Well, hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the College Age Movement podcast. We've been gone for a couple weeks and we're excited to be back. We are starting a new series this week entitled Wrestling with God. And the premise behind this is we're going to talk about three different men from the Old Testament, the Jewish histories, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob this direct lineage of men that got to have unique interactions with their creator. So this week, we're talking about Abraham. And we're going to be uh, in Genesis chapter 18, and then we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to just talk through a couple different stories that have something to do with the man Abraham. So Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 28 says this. It says, When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. So these are the men that are with Abraham, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? What he's talking about is he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right, just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised to him. So, then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, bold." To kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. And then the Lord says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? And then the Lord said, if I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. And then Abraham goes on to say, what about 40? What about 35? What about 30? And if you've ever been in a place like I was when I was reading the scripture, I was like, dude, seriously, like we get it. We understand what you're trying to say. But he works his way all the way down to five people. And he says, God, if if you find five righteous people in the city, will you destroy it? And the Lord says, no, I won't destroy it if I find five righteous people. And if, if you go on to read in Genesis chapter 18, unfortunately, the Lord doesn't find even five righteous people and the city is, is eventually destroyed. But there are some things that we can learn about this conversation between Abraham and God. The first one being this is that we're to be bold. Abraham had an unbelievably unique relationship with God. It was intimate. It was personal. He felt like he ha- could have a very honest conversation with the creator of the universe. And he, this is the thing is that... Abraham, unlike anybody else on earth at the time, had this kind of relationship with the Creator. And I think that what we need to realize is that because of Jesus, because of what He did on the cross, now every single one of us have the same relationship or the ability to have the same relationship with God that Abraham had. 
And I don't think that we fully understand that often. I don't know if we feel the weight of that, how important that is, that, that this isn't just about us throwing things around and, and kind of having this on and off relationship with the creator of the universe. Like we can have an intimate relationship where we can actually talk to God, where we can actually have open, honest, hard conversations with him. And it's not about questioning everything God is calling us to. It's about knowing that God cares enough to hear us out. If we really think about this, God is always going to be right, but he cares enough to stop and listen to our grievances, to our struggles, to to our successes, to our empty words and heavy words and whatever it may be. He cares enough to hear us out. You see, God is clear on where we should be going and who he wants us to be, but he also cares how we get there. He wants us to have a life that is filled with joy and fulfillment. And he's so excited for what we get to do in our lives. The, the, the destination that he wants us to get to, the things that he wants us to accomplish will always remain the same. But he cares enough about us that, that he hopes that the way that we get there is a way that, that is full of joy and full, full of fulfillment. And that is so important for us to realize because we think that things are going to be easy all the time and they're not. But then we go the complete opposite side and we say, well, for me to get where God wants me to be, I just have to, to struggle and I have to, to be in pain all the time because that's the only way to fulfill what God wants me to fulfill. And that's not true at all. You see, the God who created you is the same God that wants to communicate with you. The God who created you is the same God that wants to communicate with you. He wants to talk through it. He wants to figure out what the best way to get to point B is, to point C, to point D, and eventually your final destination. He wants to do for you what you would have or what you would want to do for yourself. But when we have this idea of how we want to get places, his way is always better. And sometimes it feels like we have to go through pain and struggle and strife, and and sometimes that's true. But in the end, we're going to look back and be like, man, that was such a better way to get to this place than if I would have had my own way. The, The other thing is that we have to understand that our relationship with Jesus is a dialogue, not a monologue. It's not just about us talking to God and then not listening, but it's also not just about sitting there and being like, well, I I want God to speak to me, but we've never asked a question. We've actually never entered into the conversation. We just expect for him to snap his fingers or show up in our lives and be like, here is the audible voice of God, and and you didn't ask for it, but I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. We have to understand that our relationship with Jesus is a dialogue. It needs to be a give and take. So we should approach God boldly, not believing we are right and he is wrong, but knowing that greater success is had in discussion than silence. We need to be a people who are willing to have a discussion with Jesus. And some of that is being silent and listening, but we actually have to talk to God too. He wants to have a relationship with us. He doesn't want it to be a one-way street. He wants to be in a dialogue. And secondly, What we learn out of this passage, this conversation between Abraham and God, is that we are to contend for others. If you aren't familiar with church speak, that might kind of sound like an odd phrase, but simply put, put, in your conversations with God, talk about others, not just yourself. Selfishness is at the core of our humanity and we have to be intentional about fighting against that. We see selfishness is, is just such, a, such an intricate part of everything that we are, and it's, it's our humanity fighting against our spirituality. 
And, and so often in our prayer lives, we find that we are, are talking to God and it's always self-consumed. And, and what Abraham models for us in this moment, he, he's out of, the, out of danger. As the men go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, he stays back and he's still with the Lord. So if the Lord destroyed the city, Abraham would be still safe, still scotch-free, like everything would be fine. But instead, he starts to contend for the city. And even though in the end, he's wrong, he starts to contend for the lives of the people that he sees around him. These are people that he most likely had relationship with. These are people that he had spoken to. These are people that he had spent time with. And what that models for us is that we need to contend for other people. You see, maybe you've, quote unquote, won your battle, but that doesn't mean that someone else isn't right in the middle of theirs. We have such a tendency to, to win our, our season of life or to get free of something or to finally find ourselves escaping from that sin or whatever it is, that pain, that struggle. And then we look back and we see that other people are still in the middle of it, but we're like, no, I'm out of it. But as followers of Jesus, the call in our lives is to pull people along with us, to do whatever we can to assist them to win their battles too. So we need to pray for people. We need to contend for people. We need to pray for people whether they know you're doing it or not. We need to pray for people whether they want it or not. When I worked at a restaurant, I remember this this woman, she she was very close to me and I just loved her dearly and she was going through a divorce and there were kids involved and it was there was just so much pain and she wasn't religious at all. And she knew that I was and and I just walked up to her one day and said, "Hey, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you." And she just straight up to me said, no, I don't want your prayers. I don't want your prayers. And then I said, too bad. And I grabbed her. And I, I'm just kidding. I didn't grab her and started praying for her. Uh, what I did was I went home and I prayed for her anyway. Because what I understand is that Jesus cares for each and every single person on this earth. That he wants so much for every single person here. And uh, she might have seen things as coincidence. She might have think, thought it was happenstance that, that things happened the way that I, they did, but, but I got to see things happen in, in her life, and I think they were miraculous things. I think that things laid out in a way that, that couldn't have happened absent from God, and it was because there were so many people in her life that, that were praying for her, whether she knew it or not. There were people who were surrounding her situation with prayer. And I think that's an amazing thing to, to pray for other people, to contend for other people, to know that other people are contending for you. That when we're in community and we know that that's happening, significant things happen. It helps us have bold faith and big faith. And, and the call isn't for us to just have bold faith and big faith for ourselves, but for the lives of other people as well. So we need to be people who are willing to contend for others. So now we're going to go to Genesis chapter 22, and this is uh, decades later after Abraham and Sarah uh, have left that land. They had prayed over and over again. They've had conversation after conversation with God, and they'd been talking about having a son. And then God, who, who made a promise to them decades before this, finally grants them a son named Isaac. And this was their only son. This was an incredible thing. And uh, we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 1, and it simply says this. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And then Abraham replies, Here I am. Here I am. So that's the next point today is this is here I am. Abraham had spent so much time in close relationship with God that when God spoke, Abraham didn't even flinch. He simply responded, here 
I am. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we ask for the voice of the God, voice of God all of the time. We ask him to speak into our lives. We ask him to direct our footsteps. We ask, we ask, we ask. But if he actually audibly spoke into our lives, so many of us would absolutely flip our lids. We would freak out. We'd be like, what's going on? And the reason for that is that we aren't prepared like Abraham was prepared. I love the simple response from Abraham because it is a reminder that the more time we intentionally invest into our relationship with God, the less surprised we are when he moves. That doesn't make it any less awe-inspiring that he would be willing to move, but we operate better when we are prepared than we do when we are trying to get a grip on what God is doing. We need to intentionally invest time into our relationship with God so when he moves, when he speaks, when he does something significant, we are ready to move with him. You see, when we seek God, we find out who he actually is, and Abraham knew who he was. That's why he was willing to contend for Sodom and Gomorrah, even when it ended up being wrong. That is why he was so readily available when God spoke. One of the biggest problems that we have when it comes to our relationship with God is that we don't know him well enough to be confident in who he is. God so often becomes to us what others tell us he is instead of simply experiencing and actually being in relationship with him and finding out for ourselves. We have to be a people who are willing to actually find out who God is to us. We try to put God in a box, but he is so incredible that he can be so many things to so many different people in so many different ways. We all experience God in a different way because he is that big and that grand. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the concept of Abba Father or, or Father God. And when it comes to this idea of wrestling with God, it, it reminds me of my dad. My dad is absolutely incredible. I am so blessed. I'm so thankful for who he is and what he has helped me become. Um, but like any father, son, we, we had our spats. And he, he comes from a, a family of 12 kids. He has 11 brothers and sisters. They were Catholic. They uh, come, his dad has a military background. Like they're just, they're just very like put together. And this is how the way things we're done, and, and then I came along, and I was a good kid. I was a church kid, but I find, found those little tiny ways to rebel. I had long hair, and I wore hemp necklaces with the little glass mushrooms on it. I looked like a total stoner, even though I didn't smoke weed at all, but people tried to buy weed from me all the time. They'd be like, hey, man, like, can I get a bag from you? And I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they'd be like, oh, you're out. And I'm like, yeah, I have always have been out. I've never had it on me. And they're like, okay, cool. I'll ask you next week. And they literally would. And it was just this thing that I had to deal with all the way through high school. But I love my long curly hair and I love my hemp necklaces and my baggy t-shirts and, and these things that, that I found were like a little bit away for me to express myself in a rebellious slash unique way. And I remember coming home one day and uh, we had a small house. My mom cut hair out of my house, which is ironic because of the long hair. And, uh, I walked in the front door and I heard my parents not arguing, but having a kind of like an escalated conversation. And I heard my dad say, well, he's going to cut his hair and he's going to cut it tonight. So I tried to like sneak out the front door because I didn't want to be a part of it. And then they heard me. And so he comes out and he's like, hey, you're going to cut your hair. And I remember looking him directly in the eyes and saying, hey, screw you. And then being absolutely terrified that those words came out of my mouth. And 
I just remember him looking at me and he like took a step towards me and I took a step towards him and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to die right now. Like I'm going to get owned, but I'm going to die trying. And luckily my mom was able to, to calm the situation and, and nothing ever happened. And, uh, I just remember going to my room and I, I was really mad. I was really angry. I'm sure he was too. And I remember the next day, it was a Saturday, and he came up and he said, we need to talk. And, and I was really defensive, and so I just, like, my guard went up right away. And he said, no, I really, I want to talk to you. And uh, so we sat down on a Saturday morning and had a cup of coffee. And we talked for four and a half hours. And, and that conversation was just all about who my dad actually was. He told me his story like he had never told me his story before. He told me his background. He told me stories. He told me things that he had been successful in and things that he had struggled with and things that he had failed in. And I remember that in that four and a half hour conversation, I found out who my dad was on a level that I had never known him before. And I think that that is how God wants to talk to us. I think he wants us to, to know who he is like we have never known him before, that our father is waiting for us to have a long, serious, hard conversation and that he could express himself and reveal himself to us in ways that, that have never been apparent, ways that have never been obvious. But we actually are sitting down and being intentional and having those hard conversations because, you see, the hard conversations in our lives are so much easier with the people that we know the best. So have a hard conversation with God. Have a, have a hard conversation with the God that you know well because he already knows you perfectly. So let's be people who are willing to do that and apply that to our relationship with Jesus. Then the story goes on in Genesis chapter 22, verses 2 through 5. It says this, it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And then we will come back to you. So Abraham says, here I am, Lord. And he's willing to do this insane thing to, to go and sacrifice his only son to God where I would have said probably something similar to what I said to my dad. Like, hey, no, screw you. I'm not doing that. But he doesn't. He's obedient. And this is why. And this is our next point is that Abraham had unwavering faith. What I love about the life of Abraham is that he was a messy dude. He was broken. He made mistake after mistake. But he had such a relationship with God that he didn't hesitate to boldly contend for the things he was passionate about. But he also didn't hesitate to obey. He was obedient because he knew who God was. What we have to realize is that Isaac wasn't just another boy or one of many sons. He was Abraham's only son, the one he had been waiting for for decades. He was the beginning of God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And yet, Abraham doesn't even bat an eye. He is simply obedient. Where I would have said, oh, but this, but that, but he just said, here I am. What would you have of me? 
But here is another significant difference. Where I would have been pouting and sulking in what God was asking me to do, this was Abraham's response. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replies, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac at this point was like, yo, like what's going on? Like something's different here. I'm starting to get a little worried. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And the next point is this, is that Abraham knew one thing, and that is this, is that God will provide. God will provide. Abraham didn't know the exact outcome, but he knew the God that he served. He was confident that all things would work out. He didn't know if his son was actually going to die or not, but he did know that if he did, God would still provide. And he knew that God would provide on the front end if he didn't want Isaac to actually be sacrificed. Now, how many of us can say the same? How many of us can be so confident that God will provide in all circumstances? Because if I look at my own life, I cannot confidently answer that and be like, oh, I know God will provide. I worry all the time about whether or not provision will actually happen in my life. But as I look back on my life, God has provided time and time and time again. And sometimes it looked different than what I wanted it to look like, but God has always provided. Thankfully, we can confidently say that God probably isn't going to ask us to sacrifice anyone that we love, but he probably will ask us to do something hard and he will provide through it. And we need to make sure that we are people who are willing to do something hard when God asks us to do it because we don't know the exact outcome, but we do know the God that we serve. So do we enter these situations in our lives kicking and screaming or do we actually believe that God will show up? Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 14, the, the, the fulfillment of this set of passage, or this passage says this, it says, when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from the heavens, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. There it is again. And what I love about that is that before Abraham was willing to listen to the voice of God when things were fine. What I love is that he still had such a close relationship with God that in this time of distress, he still had an ear that was open to the Lord. Here I am, he replied. The angel says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your one and only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham believed and God delivered. And I think that we need to be a people who understand that if we believe, if we have faith, if we have unwavering faith and we are willing to be bold in our relationship with God and we're willing to invest time, that he will deliver each and every time. And today, what I would love to do wherever you're at, if you're able to, is take the next two minutes. And I just want to ask a couple questions and then I'm going to let you just dialogue with God to have that conversation with God. So if you're in a car, don't crash, but if you're in a place where you can just close your eyes and, and listen to these questions, would you just do that and be honest 
So the first question would be this. Where could you get a little brave in your relationship with God? What's a dangerous or bold prayer that you have been holding on to for a while? Secondly, who is someone else you could contend for today? Right now, in this moment, who's somebody that you could contend for? For mended relationships, for health, whatever it may be, contend for someone other than yourself. Thirdly, where is your relationship with God? Is he who others have told you he is, or have you spent time finding out for yourself? We want to have personal, intimate, amazing relationship with God, but not just because other people tell us that it's the way that it is, but because we have actually experienced Jesus. And then fourthly, do you truly believe that God will show up? Every person listening to this, every person that was at college age, we're all in different places. We're all in different circumstances. But do we truly believe that God will show up? Thank you so much for tuning into the College Age Movement podcast. If you can make it, we would love to see you in person at College Age. We meet on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock at Faith Chapel. If not, if that's not somewhere that you can be, we totally understand. And we pray, as always, that this will be a podcast and a conversation that continues to bring you life and joy. We love you guys, and we hope to see you soon.